back, everybody, to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. With me, as always, my co-hostess, Victoria Monday, and down in the chat room, Alina, moderating the chat. We have a fantastic show coming up for you tonight. Filmmaker Darcy Weir is back with us, talking about two new films that he has out, the, the one he was just telling me about last night. So we're going to start with who, who are the men in black, uh, or who's... <laughs> I'm who sorry, saw. I'm already screwing it up. Who, Who saw? saw the men in black? Yes. <laughs> but real quick, before we get to Darcy, um, and I had the pleasure of meeting him back in June at the uh, at the mega conference there in, in Laughlin, which was fantastic. And we had him on earlier this year for one of his other films. But before we start, we had a uh, early super chat that came in from Robert Hanna. Uh, he says, hello, Darcy. We love your documentaries, including the men in black. So you already have a fan here in Robert Hanna. So thank you, Robert, for the super chat. Absolutely appreciate that. Thank you very uh, also much. Want to let everybody, yeah. <laughs> also want to let everybody know that this is our final show of Edge of the Rabbit Hole for the year. We're going to take three weeks off for the holidays, come back that second week of January. So get your fill in now. And of course, you can watch the, <laughs> the archives and all of our past shows uh, following this. So um, but in any case, without further ado, Darcy, welcome back to the show. Super happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Mike. And of course, Victoria. Hey, Darcy. <laughs> hey. So you are a super busy guy because uh, you just released the Men in Black documentary last month. And now you have a new documentary that just came out. So what all do you have going on? Because it seems like it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So um, this whole pandemic i've been flying around the united states and uh filming Oops. Kind of Sorry about little... that. yeah it's okay um <laughs> and i basically you know was making these films um the one that you saw the trailer for last night uh regarding tr3b's the rise of the tr3b um that one, technically, I started working on in 2013. I was living in Australia. I interviewed a bunch of guys that were capturing some strange UFOs, including triangles in the outback. Um, and then, you know, fast forward to today, 2021, I wrapped shooting on the TR-3B dock uh, probably three months ago. And... Okay. Uh, 1091 took it. Uh, Tyler Glockner was kind enough for me to get him involved in the documentary. And uh, he kind of is featured in the documentary because he has one of the biggest UFO channels in the world when it, when it comes to uh, reporting on weekly, daily news of UFOs and sightings around the planet. So um, I also have always been a fan of his content and he's published so much stuff on the TR3B throughout the years. Uh, I figured, Hey, why don't you work on this doc with me and we can kind of like get this, this story out in the way that it deserves. So, um, I linked up with him. I also linked up with Jim Goodall who, as you may know, is a aviation historian. He also worked in the aviation industry. He worked on the uh, SR-71 Blackbird 
He was a telemetry and navigations installer for that super secret. Well, he actually worked on the A-12, which was the CIA version, the uh, um, spy plane version of the SR-71. So he is an incredible guy. I got to work with Dr. Jack Kasher, who, you know, has worked for NASA and is a bit of a whistleblower uh, from within NASA because he reported and did a physics paper on the STS-48 uh, UFO video and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, and I just, I had a really great time working on that documentary. I'm really interested in 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 space and um occupied mars there you go yeah and ufo related <laughs> stuff in space i think that's really the the most interesting perspective when it comes to the ufo phenomenon because there's many different intelligence and research agencies around the world that are looking at um our space, you know, our aerospace, yeah. as well as our outer space outside the planet. And there's been so many incidents in history where we've actually had incredible UFO uh, encounters in space, but it's just not really well reported. And uh, I really wanted to sort of crack that lid open with the Secret Space UFOs documentary. And then, sorry, I'm going to say <laughs> one more thing. I know I've been rambling. Sure. But I got you involved in the Men in Black documentary. Uh, right. We we met at the uh, UFO Mega Conference this year, and that was really fun. And um, you know, I, I figured you wrote that really cool book on um, shadow entities and um, and how that relates to some Men in Black history. You know, with uh, Albert Bender. So, yeah, and I really appreciate you asking me to be a, a part of that. You know, we got to, to chatting a little bit there on the the long ride from Las Vegas down to Laughlin, and uh, of course they were at the conference. So, yeah, I really do appreciate you uh, inviting me to be a part of that. And I do have uh, queued up here the trailer for that. So I'll go ahead and play the trailer, and then we'll go ahead and discuss. And uh, also have the trailer for the other film as well. But we'll start with who saw the Men in Black. Well, Men in Black is a concept that's been in the UFO field since really the beginning of the UFO field, essentially. What is the true mission of the Men in Black? Is it the suppression of information regarding UFOs and extraterrestrials? Albert K. Bender founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau in 1952 during the big UFO flap. Now, these figures were very dark in nature. They were wearing hats, almost like a fedora style, and they had glowing eyes. Yeah, it, it all seems uh, pretty horrible, especially if they uh, uh, threaten you or threaten your family, and, uh, and you're not sure if they're from another planet or not. What Jacobs said in the aftermath of that was that he was subject to a range of harassment type of activities. Some of these things would include uh, threatening phone calls at all times of the day, and um, even to vandalism against his property, property damage. There is no more exciting story that I could write or aviation we could publish than to say, at last, we've come across one UFO report that cannot be explained in prosaic terms. 
maybe this is an alien spaceship. Biggest story of all time. These objects, and that's why the response could be as fast as it was to the to Westall. Um, that's why the military could get there as quickly as they did that day. Because there were some, if you like, forewarning in the suburb of Baldwin, about 20 kilometers from Westall, just four days before the Westall incident. Take Richard Doty, former special agent of the Air Force who was tasked with infiltrating the UFO community to instill doubt and misinformation of UFO encounters. Men in black, I've always been present in the UFO community since you know, back in the 50s and 60s. This story follows an age-old pattern of a prominent Men in Black cover-up. A UFO incident occurs. Experiencers witness something that shouldn't exist in our conventionally understood reality. Yeah, fantastic film. Please, uh, everybody, go take a look at that after the show. Not right this very second, <laughs> right now. Uh, but I have the in the description here on YouTube uh, down uh, down there for both of these films. So please go ahead and and check them out. Uh, also includes Richard Dolan, uh, Richard Doty, who we both saw there in the trailer, as well as several others. Uh, Darcy, I wanted to ask you uh, about this documentary now. Men in Black have been a part of UFO lore for you know since the late 1940s. So, what what is it that's new that you learned while putting together this documentary? Well, you know, to be honest, I I really um, always knew about the Men in Black lore. Um, you know, even watch, I guess. The funny thing is, when I first saw the Hollywood film with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, I was a kid, and I had no idea that this, you know, Hollywood portrayal of a real history of cover-up of UFO um, activity around the planet, you know, that hadn't dawned on me yet, and I probably learned most of this stuff after reading, uh, you know, National Security UFOs by Richard Dolan. And, um, you know, he's written about the cover-up historically quite well. And um, I was actually, you know, when I approached you, when we were riding the bus together from uh, Las Vegas up to... Where where did we go again? Laughlin. 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 Uh, that was a heck of a drive. That was an hour and a half from Vegas to Laughlin. That was the party bus. That was the meat. That was the meat wagon. Uh, yeah, but when we when we headed up there and you told me, hey, you know what? There's actually this more paranormal, this more, um, you know, extraterrestrial or this sort of entity type story that really kicked off the men in black story that was the one that i was like really i hadn't really even heard of albert k bender before that and you know i had the harold doll story from the 1940s mm -hmm. off of uh maury island which is like you know off the coast of washington state there 
But then you told me one that was coming from the 50s. And I was, it was almost like fate because I really wanted to build this story, this, this whole documentary to have one sort of prominent story each decade. So the Harold Dahl story was in the 1940s. Albert K. Bender with your information was the 1950s. 1960s had guys like, um, Oh, it's kind of escaping me here. What's his name? Robert Jacobs, who, you know, worked for the Air Force um, and recorded that UFO when they were doing a dummy uh, warhead test missile launch. Um, And then we get into the 70s and we talk about... um, We talk about... uh, What's his name? Philip... Philip Class uh, coming on the scene and kind of becoming the prominent skeptic in mainstream media that is right. just completely, you know, obscuring every story and making it sound like there's nothing interesting to these UFO sightings. Um, so, you know, we kind of tell the story as the decades go that the active suppression of UFO activity was changing and whoever is in charge of keeping this secret has been you know elevating and uh putting figureheads into the forefront of the public and i mean you know if you look at philip class um and what he did you know the prominent head um the editor of a aviation magazine people are going to listen to him because he sure. writes, you know, for the aviation industry. So he's just going to say it's either like something in the sky that we're misidentifying or maybe it's just a plane, whatever, right? So people listen to him, but uh, you know, since he's gone, you have Neil deGrasse Tyson and Bill Nye the science guy, they show <laughs> up on CNN and they, you know, make fun of uh, James Fox, or they make fun of um, uh, Stanton Friedman, who was a prominent nuclear physicist that took this subject very seriously and knew that there was truth to it. And he would say, oh, you guys just believe in little green men, you know, and then people just snicker and, and, and turn away from the subject. So this, the skeptics that are put in the mainstream media are kind of like an evolution of the man in black story. And uh, fake news is really where things uh, get interesting in in modern history. But, you know, people have even claimed in in the past 20 years that there have been men in black, so so to speak, showing up at people's doorsteps, confiscating um, evidence of certain... prominent ufo events that have happened so well yeah that's that's part of what richard Doty talked about now it's been a while since uh he was working but uh, he talks about working with the the real men in black out of fort bellevue and uh and what they actually did which was is quite interesting he talks about that in your film yeah i mean the really interesting thing about him is that he is literally a man in black right uh he is a former um, Office of Special Investigations for the Air Force uh, agent. So what 
his whole modus operandi was to um, intercept people that had experienced very credible UFO events. Um, you know, he, he says in the documentary, and he, anytime he's at a lecture, he'll say pretty much the same thing, that he was tasked with basically feeding false information to witnesses. Um, so if the actual encounter was something from our military arsenal that was a special black budget project that they didn't want the Russians to know about or any other foreign adversaries. Um, it was best to muddy the water, so to speak, by telling the experiencers that was a UFO, that was an alien craft, and we need this information from you. We need your photos, we need any you know, slag material you picked up from a possible crash site, whatever. And um, we need that because this is a matter of national security, right? And uh, what some of these people didn't know was that the UFO story was a cover because it was our stuff. It was our technology that we were testing out, um, which perfectly leads into TR-3Bs we can talk about later. But sure. um, he also said, and you know, he said on other occasions that there were certain cases where it was not our equipment. It was not our technology. And um, he won't get into very specific details about that, probably because that is, is a national security issue. Um, and I, I believe him in both sides of that coin. I think that um, there's too much history of things that would be described as being not of this world showing up on our planet you know historically before we even had split the atom and and advanced our technology to the the point that we could possibly make anti-gravity gravity uh propelled vehicles in in aerospace but um that's the real head scratcher it's kind of like separating what's ours from what's possibly been theirs. Okay. Go ahead, Victoria. I know you have some questions. Well, it's almost like gaslighting, don't you think? Um, where you get so much information or disinformation, then you get all confused and you don't know what's left or what's right, what's up, what's down. How do we know this hasn't been um, extraterrestrial the entire time? Or maybe it's been ours the entire time. I mean, how do we know? That's the trick. You know, that's like the whole way that this subject can always stay not taken seriously, you know, by the, the mass media. And um, it's, it's the whole name of the game when it comes to information control. So when you're a intelligence agency or defense agency, DIA, you want this to be the case because you have the upper hand then. You can tell, you can, if you ever want to release information, which we're kind of seeing now with disclosure, um, you know, in the past three to four years since 2017, we're seeing this kind of information coming out 
and it's being portrayed in a certain way from uh, the Pentagon, but it's, again, so murky. It's like, yes, this is real. No, it's not real. Actually, we're saying that we're going to start up a... Uh, you know, research task force, and we're going to put $22 million into it. And, uh, but there's nothing that's not from our planet. Oh, wait, but that's not our uh, equipment that we, that that UFO incident definitely was not from our military arsenal or any known foreign arsenal. You see what I mean? So you, if you say both, then you can fall back on one of them when you need to. And that is the really tricky thing about this subject is that they have the cards. They can play both games at the same time. They can say, okay, that's not ours or any known foreign arsenal. So guys, maybe we're not alone. That well, might they- be, that might be something that they're planning to do. And I think that is going to eventually happen. And then the other card game that they're playing is, well, that might be a foreign arsenal uh, UFO. And some of this stuff might be ours. Well, they could even flip that, you know, saying, well, it's nothing we know about or we know about it. Well, what if we know about, um, I don't know, the dark side of the moon or, or Mars or the big Mars war that went on a couple millennia ago with the five space alien groups or whatever? You know, they knew about it. Um, they can say, sure, yeah, we, we knew about this. It's not um, extraterrestrial or something because they, I'm lost anyway. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> just because they say they know about it, people would assume that it's from Earth. Um, what if they know about extraterrestrial craft? And they're like, yeah, we know about it. Or is am I totally off base here? I don't think you're off base. I mean, um the first sort of documentary that I published in the secret space um, sort of series that I'm doing, it's called Secret Space UFOs Part One. That was early NASA space history UFO um, encounters. It was everything from the Gemini or the Apollo missions, or even before that, the X-15, you know, aircraft, which was the the very first mission where uh, pilots were declared NASA astronauts because they flew at zero apogee above the atmosphere of the planet and and felt that weightlessness, right? Mm -hmm. Even those guys at the very starting of the NASA space program, which was essentially just a a kind of rocket-propelled craft that was attached to the wing of a bomber, that flew really high in the atmosphere, detached, shot up into space. Even those guys, when they were doing lectures later on with the public and, um, you know, just retired, whatever, they were discussing how they were tasked by NASA and the military industrial, the, you know, Air Force to take pictures of UFOs and try and track UFOs when they were up there in space. And um, that's pretty striking. You know, we're talking like 1961. Mm -hmm. This is way before the 1970s when we were actually landing on the moon. And then we have so many stories of uh, astronauts, you know, pilots in space that were 
going to the moon and seeing things and commenting on things on the far side of the, the moon that we never see, that we can't even take photos of from, from our vantage point on Earth. Uh, it's, it's the dark side of the moon because it never revolves around to, to our perspective. So the only enlightened folks that have been able to see that are the astronauts or the NASA space program uh, researchers that have been sending uh, probes around to the other side and taking photos and such. And there's just so much data, not only transcripts from NASA astronauts or photos from um, the different space probes that have went around the, the moon and taken photos of anomalies and things that are down there. Uh, you know, Carl Wolf is pretty famous when he worked with uh, Stephen Greer on the Disclosure Project. You know, this is a guy that was sent to a CIA, or, no, he was sent to an NSA facility to fix a very specialized photography uh, printer that was like pretty advanced back in the 1960s. Um, and they were taking really high resolution pictures that they were telemetering in from the uh, uh, lunar orbiter, which was one of the early space probes to go out and take shots of all different sides of the moon. And on the dark side, the far side of the moon that mm -hmm. we don't get to see, Apparently, when he was at this installation trying to fix a, a, a printer, basically, um, one of the officers that was the same rank as him in the Air Force took him aside and showed him a mosaic of a base that's not ours, that's not any known foreign adversary's base, because they weren't even really in space like the uh, NASA astronauts were the Americans. Mm -hmm. So there was, he was saying, look, we found a, we found structures on the moon, you know, what looked like big dishes and, and massive buildings, but they looked ancient. So whose was that? And it's definitely not ours. So that's, I mean, to your point, Victoria, um, that is the sort of like, that's one of the stories that, you know, if we could actually have those pictures in the public, and Carl Wolf is dead now, he got uh, hit by a car. Um, Interesting. Well, we... <laughs> you, you have the mystery hut from China now. There you go. That looks so... like a structure, right? <laughs> it, it definitely looks like some sort of structure. And, and I, I posted a, a link earlier today on, on my Facebook about why their rover that they have up there has not been able to immediately go to it because of how slow the thing works, which is kind of interesting in and of itself. But, um, you know, to your point, as, uh, as you're talking, you know, you had astronauts like Edgar Mitchell and, and Buzz Aldrin make some comments over the years, you know, about different things that they saw and experienced and all that, um, kind of have a follow-up question here from Alina, our chat moderator, you know, on this, on the subject, uh, she's wondering, if the government tries to cover up UFOs, what do you think their reasons really are other than not spooking the public? What's the reason for the whole cover-up? I mean, not spooking the public is a multifaceted sort of repercussion. If you spook the public, you could affect the economy, mm -hmm. you could affect uh, industry, 
you know, um, especially the energy infrastructure industry that we have around the planet, we're still a type, I think we're a type zero or type one civilization that's burning things, you know? We burn wood, we burn fuel or gas or oil. We, when we use nuclear energy, we're essentially boiling a massive industrial tea kettle. And the steam that's produced from that is moving turbines to create energy. And by, by uh, you know, starting that, facilitating that whole steam reaction, we're dipping nuclear rods into water that we've set off this nuclear reaction by, you know, starting the, the, the uh, nuclear reaction on an atomic level. And we're boiling that water and we're creating incredibly dangerous situations that we saw with Fukushima and uh, the Three Mile Island, you know, incident. Uh, those forms of energy are accepted. Nuclear that's dangerous or fossil fuels. And I do believe that UFOs are not running on burnt wood or, <laughs> you know, nuclear rods, the way that we would perceive um, traditional nuclear energy to be, to run. Uh, I think there, th there's definitely some kind of nuclear reaction to some of these vehicles. And um, that exotic technology is just something that's not in the public. And, and UFOs, if you look at, um, uh, a really interesting case study that happened in history with, um, his name is escaping me, but he did Citizen Kane. Orson Welles. Oh, Orson, Orson Welles. Welles. Yeah. Right. Um, he created that radio, uh, broadcast show back when radio was in every home of uh, the American public, not a television. And he created the war of the worlds, uh, story. People became so frantic back then. Uh, was this, I think it was the 40, when was that? Early 30s. Early 30s. Yes. Okay. So yeah, it's before the 40s. The 40s. Yeah. This drove people mad. There, there was literally people running in the countryside with guns thinking that aliens had really come to take over the planet. And that case study is just sort of, a fraction of what the paranoia might be like if we actually announce to the public we're not alone. And there are possibly uh, folks from out there visiting our planet and we can't stop them. You yeah, know, what kind, of, what kind of paranoia would that cause? There's a sense of control that the government wants people to feel like they have every day when they wake up. Right. So. Yeah. It sounded like you had a comment or a question there, Victoria. Oh, well, well, Darcy kind of knows where I live, but you know, I've grown up with NASA <laughs> in my backyard. Um, and it's something that was gently wedged into our heads. I don't want to say beaten into our heads, you know, but you know, NASA pride, whenever they would have liftoffs, we would all gather together in the auditorium and watch them everything up until um, the Challenger, and then you know, we stopped watching after that. But uh, my uncle actually worked for NASA, and he would come home, and you know, I was a little kid, so I didn't know 
what was he was really talking about. But I'd always hear my aunt go, oh, you're lying, you're lying. And then he would shut up and you could tell there was something. He knew something or he had seen something, but, you know, he wasn't divulging anything. And about War of the Worlds, um, the reason why that was so um, hysterical is a lot of people missed the beginning of it where they said this is a, a, a document or a, a drama, a play drama, radio drama. And when they came in, that's when they heard that the aliens were taking over and that's when the panic ensued and everything. Yeah, it caused all the, the regulations to be put in place to do the station identifications and all that. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> know about that. Thanks, Orson. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Orson. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, question here from uh, Sarah Youssef, and then we'll get to the trailer for, for your other film. Uh, so, she asks. Uh, given the abundance of UFO sightings over places of spiritual power, do you believe that the UFO that the UFOs use some form of electro spiritual energy that humans produce as fuel? That's an interesting one. I have not actually heard that before, um, but um, you know, there, I think there is some connection with like ancient megalithic sites that are built on ley lines, which are some kind of like energetic, naturally energetic places on the planet. There have been lots of UFO sightings around there. And I think in the UK, for example, Stonehenge, it has heralded many uh, UFO sightings over the years. People gather there and record UFOs when they have like festivals every year. So, I mean, in terms of spiritual, um, I'm not a very spiritual guy. I'm kind of like a nuts and bolts, um, kind of geeky, sciencey type guy. So I, I don't know well enough, but I'm pretty sure if you asked uh, Stephen Greer or some of these other folks that are, you know, really well educated in, in that type of question, they will say there is some kind of connection to some UFO activity. You know, it might not just be spiritual, um, because for me, like uh, when I go back to where my mom lived, I like to go by and see where the house is or was. And she's been gone like 30 years now. So perhaps these are extraterrestrials visiting um, places where they've been before, like Stonehenge. Like, oh, yeah, let's go back. So this is why they're being picked up at certain spots over and cruise by the old hood. You know, yeah. Hey, those rocks are still <laughs> standing, you know. Hey, let's join the party. <laughs> right. <laughs> Woohoo. Yeah. All right. So let's get to your, your other film here. Uh, we'll go ahead and, and run the trailer here. When's that one coming out? Bring that up. It, it's <laughs> so out now. So oh. yeah, we have we have the links down in the down in the description. Well, you know what I'm doing tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> Sweet. So, I love your films, Darcy. They're awesome. Leave a review. <laughs> Let me know what you think, Victoria. I, I am always one of your first reviewers. I, I got to say the underground is by far my favorite. Thank you. I, I can't tell you how many times. You I've like everything it. underground. Yes. I talked to Darcy last <laughs> night. I don't know if you read my message. I, I'm I'm the hollowed earth. Hollowed earth. Yeah. Not hollow. I, mean, I saw hollowed. that. Oh, no, not hollow. Okay. E All right. So I did totally mis misread that. <laughs> we'll That's why it's in big letters. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, yeah. I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll go back to that chat after this. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and run the trailer. While it's been widely discussed that UFOs are of an alien nature, 
uh, we are starting to realize that many of these may also be man-made. The stuff I was working on wasn't classified. The programs that we're monitoring were. Unconventional and unacknowledged activities and science that are not supposed to exist. It accelerated at about a 30 degree angle of attack and left him in the dust. I mean, boom, eight to 10,000 miles an hour. They looked like butterflies that were on fire. Well, when I played the footage back, there was a TR-3B sitting there cloaked above that ship the entire time. Why is it that if these are solid triangular craft, are we able to sometimes see stars through them? You're going to have a militarization of space, like an arms race in space, and that's going to require a significant classified component. That is a secret space program. We're dealing with something very close to alien technology, engineered down to the atomic level. Something really odd is going on out there. Okay, Secret Space UFOs, Rise of the TR-3B. There is a link down in the description. You can click on it, watch it. Uh, definitely check out Darcy's film. So for for those in our audience who are watching now or listening later, uh, what exactly is a TR-3B? So uh, the story goes, the legend goes, is that possibly the TR-3B had its maiden flight in 1979. This uh, craft was a collaboration of a couple different military contractors, a avionics, uh, you know, aviation contractors. Some say it could possibly come out of Northrop Grumman because we do know that the TR-3A, which was actually published in Popular Mechanics, um, as being a craft that Northrop Grumman built, that could have, you know, been the experimental craft before the TR-3B. Edgar Fouché, he famously came out uh, to the UFO community in the 90s talking about how he worked um, at Area 51, and this was a place where they were testing the TR-3B. And the TR-3B did not use your traditional um, fuel, jet fuel propulsion uh, that the TR-3A supposedly did. The TR-3B possibly was using a human version, a, you know, our physics and our uh, reverse engineering best and brightest attempt to replicate what we found in a crash craft. So this is a anti-gravity engine that we made on a much larger scale, sort of like an aircraft carrier that could go to space. Um, and, you know, I talked to Jeremy Reese who uh, has done some really good research into the workings of the TR-3B. And if you watch the documentary, we cover some of that. But basically, this is where you get into the propulsion 
by a possible anti-gravity means. You know, we're not talking about your traditional burning things uh, science, you know. So um, we go through military history or uh, Air Force history and we go through some of the craft that have been known to be out there in the wild. Um, we go over some of the UFO encounters that have happened in, you know, very high altitudes um, in our atmosphere or outer space. And we also go into uh, the lore and the supposed history of the TR-3B. And did this thing actually come out of Area 51? Um, and, you know, are we seeing these black triangles that some people have called, you know, extraterrestrial UFOs? Are we actually seeing our craft um, flying around the planet throughout history? Okay, now Victoria, you'd put up your finger, so it, it seemed like you had a question or a comment there. I need like a buzz in button. You know, okay. Um, okay. Just start talking. No, I don't want to be rude. No, <laughs> I don't want to interrupt. Um, from what? Okay, first of all, is the 3RTB? No, 3R, TR3B, the bat. Okay. Is it actually been acknowledged or is it all hearsay? And then secondly, um, from what I was trying to figure out, because I never even heard of this when you mentioned it yesterday. So I did a little research and um, there's something called the black mantra that um, uses pressurized mercury, which is accelerated by nuclear energy, which creates the electromagnetic anti-gravity propulsion system, which if you throw in the uh, Higgs boson field theory, which is, what was it, negative, uh, no particle charge or something that would allow them to float up. Would that be able to actually go into outer space too? Yeah. So you kind of mixed a little <laughs> bit of both crafts together yes. there, but yes. the black, the black Manta yes. um, is the TR3A. So oh, that's okay. the one that uh, Northrop Grumman would have produced, which um, then the TR3B would have used this mercury engine uh, that was a rotating superconductor, but they were right. using a um, liquid metal, basically. That's what meta, uh, mercury is, kind yeah. of. And pressurized they, mercury. Yeah. yeah, pressurized mercury. They kept it super cooled, and they rotated it super fast, and this created um, a anti-gravitic force so that a craft could float. Right. And supposedly a very big craft because, you know, the, the, the story goes with the TR-3B that, you know, this could carry tanks, this could carry whole fleets of personnel and people and other planes into space. So if the Higgs boson field has no um, particle matter, that would allow it to float, right? And if that's in outer space, then theoretically those could fly in outer space as well? Well, uh it's also said that the corners of this ship was propelled by possibly um, uh, some kind of hydrogen propulsion. So I think they did use some, I mean, hydrogen is, is not a right. fossil fuel. It's created from water. Um, 
H2O. So th that's a gas that is highly unstable, but apparently they, they were using that to make it, you know, turn and stuff, but they would get it to go into space with this um, manipulation of gravity, which you're, you're talking about, the right. changing of the, 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 the you know, um, altering the gravity for an object that should have gravity. You know, you basically set off this reaction that makes this object no longer have weight. And, um, and then once it's in space, you know, you can use hydrogen to go places and you can also use this engine to shoot somewhere pretty quick. Okay, but it would still have weight, right? It could just fly around because it looks like a donut, you know, the way the energy comes out. Yeah, I it think would that, be the it's, it's toroidal. Be the, yeah, yeah. I think with that whole torsion field, you're basically, <laughs> yeah, you're you're basically, you're everything that's within it no longer has is is no longer being uh, subject to gravity. So that could also be like the, okay. It's not the tic tac. What was it? The little space alien thing they saw over the water. The yeah, the tic tac UFO, the go fast gimbal okay. UFOs. So I mean, these that would all be the same thing, right? Because it could, you know. Yeah, sure. It shot around like a ping pong. One pilot said in mm. in in the sky. So that means that you've got an object that moves to one area of the sky and then shoots over to another and stops on a dime. And when you've got that type of uh, that kind of maneuver, there's nothing that we have that runs on fossil fuel that can right. do that. So, you know, th then you have two different camps out there. There's a camp that says, well, that's not ours. That's got to be T. And then you've got a camp that says that might be ours, but it's just unacknowledged and it's not um, divulged to the public. Right. See, that's so, where I'm going. Yeah. Because and, it's, and I do believe that some of these are things that we've created. There, some of these things are us. But when you have, like we're talking about the the tic tac and the gimbal and all that, stopping on a dime, moving in some of these crazy directions, you know, the g force in that we would pass out or it would crush us. So, you know, at least as far as we know, with our current technology. So, is there also technology currently being developed, or maybe it's in some of these different craft to compensate for the fact that some of these G-forces would, would kill us. Yeah, so I think the argument there is that as soon as you create this sort of torsion field, you create this um, field of anti-gravity around your ship, the occupants inside are not feeling that gravity either. So you're not like, you know, if you look at uh, shooting an arrow through the air, it's actually moving through a fluid atmosphere, right? Like air is just a gaseous fluid and there's still friction that's being felt by that arrow and eventually it slows down and it hits the ground. Um, but as soon as you're creating this sort of torsion field, you're basically negating any friction. There's no such thing as that anymore. Everything that's within that bubble is not being, um, is not is not being influenced by gravity right. anymore. Because I think that's what. Um, oh my gosh, the Rendlesham Forest man, Jim. I forgot his last name. Penniston. Right. Because yep. he was calling that the sphere of influence. 
which was around his craft. Um, so that would be like the same thing, right? Yeah, and John Burroughs, he also discussed um, being inside of what was like a, a sphere or a bubble of energy that he had walked into. The interesting thing about those two men is that Jim Penniston said that he saw and heard something completely different from John Burroughs. Yeah. Um, John Burroughs said that, you know, when he entered, he didn't see a craft. He, he, he felt like he was inside of some kind of like presence. Like he, he, he said he, he felt like he was part of some kind of intelligence when he walked past that barrier into this, like, uh, this bubble of energy. So it's almost like an egg and you're walking into the membrane, depending on how close you get to the yolk. Do you see it or not? Or That was kind of what John Burroughs was alluding to when I interviewed him. Um, Jim Penniston is famous for saying, I saw this triangular craft, you know, this uh, very high technology, metallic shaped uh triangular craft or he said it looked like a diamond actually and it um had what looked like hieroglyphics on the side and he ran his hand along that metallic surface and and saw there was light emanating from behind the the hieroglyphics or something like that so yeah and that's where he different. got we've we've had jim on the show a couple of times and that's where he got that uh download that flash of the uh, the binary code binary. right yeah hmm. Yeah, and I think like um, there are many stories out there where people describe black triangles and they also have um, ET-related experiences. So I'm not saying in, you know, this documentary, every film has to be a certain form and length. And in this documentary, I wanted to explain something that was quite prevalent, that was important for people to know. But in a like later documentary, I'd like to explain that maybe not all black triangles are ours. Now, it's interesting you said that because I used to live in Arizona and I was telling Mike before, um, I was out in Scottsdale and I wasn't too far from Luke Air Force Base and I had a convertible and I looked up and I saw, it looked like a more of a boomerang type thing. Nobody else was looking at it because you could definitely see through it um you could see the clouds but it was in the daylight do people see these in the daytime or was i just yeah. looking at something weird from luke no, Air Space? of course and i mean there's people that have famously recorded infrared camera daylight footage of these triangles just floating in the sky mm -hmm. and you can see the sky behind this formation this like these three lights and some people believe um, you know, even Jeremy Reese said that um, there's been plenty of research and work that's been done throughout history into what's called metamaterials. And metamaterials are, we're talking about um, materials that exemplify what we would think is alien technology. Uh, things that are manipulated or constructed down to the atomic level that can do things like bend light, reflect, refract light, um, and even present a certain image to hide 
what is actually there. Wouldn't so, that be, sorry? I'm sorry. Wouldn't that be the easiest way to hide something is just to put it out there in plain view for everyone to see and say, oh, it's um, like Chris Kringle. Yeah, he's real. I don't want to say anything. Uh, you never know. I mean, young viewers. But, you know, we all know it's not real. Um, I, I believe he's real. What are you talking about? Yeah, you're ruining my life here, Victoria. What's going on with you? But, uh, Victoria, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Arizona because um, okay. Robert Hanna has a, has a question here. <laughs> asking, what is Darcy's theory on the triangle UFO scene over Phoenix, Arizona back in 97? Oh, oh I heard a great discussion on that one. Yeah, so the Phoenix Lights, um, I've heard two different stories on that. Uh, I've heard one, you know, James Fox made it really, a really prominent story in his documents, documentaries and his research on that phenomenon. Um, the really interesting thing is that the footage that he featured in I Know What I Saw and the stuff that you can find on YouTube and I, I was speaking to a, another aerospace um, worker, somebody who works in in sort of like a military industrial complex company. And he was telling me that there was footage out there in the wild that was from 8 o'clock that night that showed something that was way larger than what you see in the footage that was recorded at 10 o'clock that night. And um, apparently the footage that was recorded earlier has been wiped, that you can't really find it anywhere. If anybody finds it, I wanted to actually show that footage in this documentary, <laughs> but I couldn't find it. You can't get it anywhere. And it apparently was what many people had seen flying over Arizona for that whole night. But it was just recorded earlier and it showed like definitely a very large craft that um, some people say they could sometimes see glints of metallic sort of structure and others said that they could see the stars shining right through it. So it had possibly that sort of same TR-3B character to it, which is the uh, metamaterial sort of technology that would allow you to cloak the craft and not allow it to be seen with the human eye uh, at first glance. And, you know, under the cover of night, that's also an advantage. Um, but yeah, I find it really interesting that people have reported that there's earlier footage from that night that was out online. You can't get it on YouTube anymore. You can't find it anywhere. But the, the famous footage that James Fox has shown was what the military said, well, that's just flares. Those were, that was just a military exercise. And it's very possible that that footage that's really uh, prominent that, that you can actually see from that night that was later actually was flares that was um, used to distract and to debunk the subject later on in the public. So what happens then is the Air Force scrambles some aircraft to go up in uh, over Arizona, drop those flares, and then they can say, okay, this is debunkable. Those, that was just a military exercise, guys. 
those were flares. Nothing to see here. But that doesn't make any sense because there were thousands of people in the state of Arizona that saw something that was not flares that slowly was flying over the state until it got to Phoenix and, and went beyond, right? Yeah, because it well, started. If there was some north. earlier footage. Yeah. Well, I've, if if there's some early. I've seen that. Go I've ahead, seen the Victoria. footage. I saw the footage a couple of years ago on YouTube, so I'll look for it. But it started up like near Flagstaff and it went slow the whole night. It went over Sky Harbor and then it was hanging out at Australia Mountains, which happens to be named um, for the star people. What a catch there. But uh, I was in a conference with Linda Mooton Howell and she had a little laser pointer and she actually drew the outline, you know, and it dips behind the mountain. And it is so clear when you do that. But they did send out flares, um, planes later from Luke, but the flares don't stay up. They kind of drip down. But those lights stayed in formation for a very long time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's that is a case. And it, that kind of story fits the form and function and size of apparently what the TR-3B was. You know, a massive craft that was able to go to space silently, propel itself and, you know, had the ability of metamaterials, which is uh, cloaking technology and all that type of stuff. So um, I don't know, could have been a, a it could have been a legitimate TR-3B sighting. Very interesting. Uh, we are down to the last two minutes of the oh. show. Yeah, it goes by quick. Always Darn. does. I was just getting into it. <laughs> I know, right? Right. Um, I did want to ask you know, if uh, if there was some original footage from earlier that evening. Um, I mean, are, are we saying that um, maybe government came by and, and wiped that or, or something like that? I mean, I'm sure there's some sort it, of it, conspiracy theory behind it. it. It makes sense. I mean, if you look at what the whole objective of the Men in Black is, it's to... Um, intimidate witnesses, distract the public, uh, take credible information and keep it from the public and, you know, uh, control information. That's, that's pretty much their modus operandi. Yep. Yeah. All right. So given that we have uh, now a minute and a half left, uh, all right. So where can everybody find us? I've been throwing up here on the screen all night, your occultjourneys.com link. I'm, I'm sure they can find the link through there, but, uh, real quick, Darcy, uh, for the, the audio version of this later, where can they find you, your films, all that great information? Sure. Um, all my films are on my website, but, uh, you can just search my name, Darcy Weir on Amazon or iTunes or Voodoo. Um, many of these different streaming services out there and, and my catalog of films should come up. Fantastic. Great to have you back on the show, Darcy. And, uh, you know, you have two films here back to back release, which are fantastic. So everybody, you have things to watch over the holidays here. So definitely go out and uh, grab those who saw the men in black and the, uh, secret space UFOs rise of the TR three B. So, Darcy, again, thank you so much for coming out this evening. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. You guys are awesome. All right, absolutely. Aww, we'll catch up with you. you again later. <laughs> happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays. Thanks, you too. <laughs>